Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Coming up on this edition of Full Throttle, the 58 running of the Daytona 500. Denny Hamlin wins. It's the end of Boys Have At It and a dream begins, but also a dream ends. Let's get it. This is 680 The Fans Full Throttle with Brandon Joseph. It's nothing I can't do with a race car. Featuring in-depth coverage of NASCAR, IndyCar, and racing from all around the world. As well as interviews with racing personalities, past, present, and future. It's 680 The Fans Full Throttle, and it starts now. Denny Hamlin, for the first time, wins the Daytona 500 in a very exciting finish. The seventh closest finish overall in NASCAR history. The closest finish in the 500, Martin Truex Jr., so close, about nine inches short. Actually, he led coming off four and about a foot away. He was still the leader. Denny Hamlin, with the great move, wins the 500 in a race that was for lack of a better term, but a great last lap, and that's all people were going to say. That's all that's going to define this 500, and Martin Truex Jr. had it best in the media room after the race. He's going to be forced to look at that photo for the rest of his life, just like Mark Martin was when he lost the Kevin Harvick, but Martin Truex Jr., great effort, joining Toyota in his first race with Furniture under Toyota, the partnership with Joe Gibbs Racing. We'll talk about that a little bit later also. But the 500 as a whole mentioned it was a great final lap. The race left a lot to be desired from start to finish. Chase Elliott, the pole sitter, led the first three laps, ended up on lap 20 spinning, got loose, got in the grass, wrecked his front end. I enjoyed that much of the Daytona 500, not the part that Chase wrecked, But the part that handling still plays a very big factor. You saw Harvick get loose and made a great spin cycle save. Even Earnhardt, something you don't see from Dale Earnhardt Jr., just getting loose. Got loose lap 171, smacked the inner wall, finished 36, led 15 lap. But that was the first race in a while where I was able to root for a driver and was mad when Martin Truex Jr. didn't win. Because Martin Truex Jr. is a very rootable driver. If you know anything about the story of Martin Truex Jr. coming in from Mayetta, New Jersey, his dad was a a fisherman on a boat, sold the boat, sold the fishing business to send Martin Racing and Ryan Truex also. Guy does a lot for his kids. Martin Truex gets hooked up with Dale Earnhardt, cultivates the friendship through, of all places, video games. Racing the old NASCAR racing game on the PC that Dale Earnhardt Jr. was a big fan of. Martin Truex Jr. also raced that. They cultivated their friendship through there. Dale Earnhardt Jr. actually relaunched a race team that his dad had, the old Chance Motorsports. It was then called Chance 2, and Martin was the first driver. 
And that's how Martin's career started in the NASCAR scene. Martin Truex Jr. And, of course, if you know the story of his girlfriend, Sherry Pollock's fighting ovarian cancer all last year. She, Her cancer's in remission. Uh, they finished up the treatment early this year. Great run for him. And the, that magical run last year in the chase to get to Homestead, finished fourth in the championship. Very rootable guy. And if you had to be proud of somebody for finishing second, for being the closest loser in Daytona 500 history, you give it to Martin Truex Jr. But Danny Hamlin was fast all weekend. The Gibbs cars, fast all weekend. Gibbs really showed something with their Toyota, something they weren't known for. The first 500 victory for Toyota in 10 attempts. Denny Hamlin wins his first 500 in his 10th attempt. Also, Kel Yarborough, Mario Andretti, the only other drivers to win in car 11. Uh, your top five was Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. Kyle Busch got up there, finished third. He led 19 laps on the day. Fourth was Kevin Harvick. And Carl Edwards finished fifth. He got accident damage when Brian Vickers spun on lap 57. So he came up there with that ugly-looking patch on the right front, was able to stay up there in the top ten. Joey Logano got up there to sixth. Kyle Larson was seventh. Regan Smith in the Tommy Baldwin racing Golden Corral number seven got up there, and he got a top ten finish in eight. 8th, 9th was Austin Dillon, and 10th was Kurt Busch. And if you look on the race rundown sheet, and for all you guys looking for how much the drivers made in the Daytona 500, good luck finding that. For the first time ever, NASCAR has stopped posting their race winnings. Here's a little thing. Danny Hamlin got a lot of money. Martin Truex Jr. got a lot of money. That's all you need to know. So they move on this weekend to Atlanta. As of right now, as we are taping this podcast on Tuesday night, 40 cars, as you know, has been the new field, and every single person found a way to complain that we dropped the race field from 43 cars to 40 cars. As we stand on Tuesday, 39 cars are entered for Atlanta. Can you stop your belly aching about that? Thank you. Look back at the weekend in Daytona. Chase Elliott won the Xfinity race in the 88 car for Daryl Earnhardt Jr. Johnny Sauter wins the Camping World Truck Series race for GMS Racing. And personal note there, one of my good friends from high school, Ellie Davis, he's a fabricator for GMS Racing. Congrats to those guys. They have made a great effort to really take over the Truck Series and really make the Truck Series something special. It's not a bunch of hand-me-down leftovers from big teams just throwing a little bit of extra money to keep the Truck Series going. They really make a commitment. Johnny Sorter joins that team this year, wins in his first outing, is a championship contender for GMS Racing in their Chevrolet. Both those series will be in Atlanta this weekend. A great doubleheader going on this weekend in Atlanta with the Xfinity and the Truck Series races on Saturday. Motocross was also this weekend in Texas. Ken Roxon held off Ryan Dungey. Ryan Dungey still leads Ken Roxon in points. And they head to Atlanta also this weekend. Great racing this weekend in Atlanta between the NASCAR Series and the Motocross Series. Honestly, as great as the racing is going to be, Saturday night in Atlanta is probably going to be the coolest place to go hang out with motorsports people, drivers, riders. That's the only thing I'm really looking forward to. Which brings me to the one thing that really bothered me about the Daytona 500. And really quickly, 
before we move on to other things, happy things, we'll play a nice game of good and bad regarding the Daytona 500. But this really irked me a little bit. Flashback to 2005 when NASCAR set that four-team limit. You know, the direct response to the fact that Rouse Racing had five teams and they were looking to add, maybe go to six or seven. Hendrick Motorsports had four. Penske at the time had three teams. They were worried that the rich were getting richer and what we have now, super teams, will make up the majority of the sport, take the majority of the sponsors, and dictate the dealings of how the competition went. In the 11 years since that announcement, has any of that really changed? The four-team limit has been a holdover to this new race team alliance and the charter system, but it's gotten way worse than where it was in 2005. Because if you take a look at things, Roush couldn't hold five teams, and they were allowed to have five teams as long as they had five teams. I think they gave them four years to get rid of it, to go back down to four. Roush has three teams. They couldn't even maintain four, the max limit. They have three teams. And if you look at Martin Truex Jr.'s post-race comments to Fox after the race, and we have the clip and we'll play it for you. Really proud of everybody. Uh, really proud of uh, the teamwork today with, with the JGR guys. And, uh, you know, for me, that was a big step in, in getting this relationship kicked off. And, you know, Cole and I, uh, you know, we worked hard all week to make sure we did the right things. And, and we're going to continue to work hard to make sure those guys understand that we're, uh, we're team players and we're in it for the long haul. So uh, really proud of that. And you listen to the radio transmission between the Gibbs cars and Truex and his crew, a word was thrown around a lot by those teams in reference to Truex, calling him a teammate. Last time I checked, last time I did a little bit of math and it was never my strongest suit, Joe Gibbs has the 18 car, the 19 car, the 11 car, and the 20 car. Now, I'm not... The smartest person in the world. So I bring in Chris Colwell. 11, 18, 19, 20. How many cars is that? All right, let, let me get my fingers out here. I'm going to say four. That's four. How, how, how many is the NASCAR team limit? Four. Four. Martin Truex Jr. and Furniture Row Racing... You know, they all threw around the word teammate very loosely during the 500. Is essentially the fifth Gibbs car. NASCAR strictly enforced this team limit and used it as a sticking point to the RTA. But look at how Furniture Row Racing is constructed in this 2016 season. They get their cars from Gibbs. They get their chassis from Gibbs. They get dyno from Gibbs. They get their engine from TRD and Gibbs, as well as sharing of information. They call this a quote-unquote technical alliance. But when Furniture Row Racing crew chief Cole Pern is in the meeting with Gibbs as they plan to go to racetracks, how are they not a team member? How is Stuart Haas not essentially teammates of Rick Hendrick? Gene Haas is really good friends with Rick Hendrick. So much so, Gene Haas 
sponsored Rick Hendrick's cars. Stuart Haas gets chassis, engines, quote-unquote technical alliances, but they're not considered a team? Hendrick Motorsports should have at least seven cars. Roush has auctioned off the 2015 Xfinity champ, Chris Buescher, to Front Row Racing. What does Front Row Racing get? Technical support. How are they not a teammate? Here's the, here's the kicker on that. Rick Hendrick tells Dale Earnhardt Jr. when he's ready to step out of a car, Rick Hendrick will help Junior Motorsports move to Cup. NASCAR's in a bind. NASCAR's had to come out and clarify at that point that if Dale Earnhardt Jr. did that while he was still driving the 88 for Hendrick Motorsports, it would violate the four-team limit. So what does Dale Earnhardt Jr. do or plan to do in the future? Dale Earnhardt Jr. is 41. He's not going to be in the Hendrick Motorsports car for forever. What will he do? Enter in a technical alliance just like Tony Stewart and Gene Haas did. And guess what? It won't violate any rules. He will get cars from Rick Hendrick, get engines, essentially have the same equipment that he would in the 88, but drive it under his own team name, and it's okay. So the question I ask is what are the point? What's the point of these rules? When you have Martin Truex Jr. right now looking more like a Gibbs driver than Carl Edwards. Let the rich get richer. The 21 Wood Brothers car is essentially another Team Penske car. Let the rich get richer. Because you're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes right now. That's what really bothered me from the Daytona 500. But it wasn't all bad. So coming up next... He was the best thing for the broadcast, but that doesn't mean he was a good thing for the broadcast. We'll tell you what that is next, coming up on Full Throttle. Now, more of 680 The Fans Full Throttle with Brandon Joseph. Welcome back to Full Throttle. Brandon Joseph here, alongside my producer, Chris Cowell, talking about the week that was in NASCAR. And again, coming up next, he was the best thing for the broadcast. But that doesn't mean it was a good thing. But first, we promised we wouldn't pun you. We're breaking that promise right now. Here are our news and notes. Something that we call news, notes, and lugs. Is that correct, Chris Caldwell? That's what we're calling it, I think. We promised we wouldn't pun them last week, but hey. Hey, we, we jumped right off of that pretty quick. I mean, full throttle, the show of broken promises. Let's go. With all the latest headlines from around the world of racing, Full Throttle presents News, Notes, and Lugs. <laughs> Lugs, see what we did there? All right, first note here. Uh, former F1 driver Alexander Rossi signs with Andretti Herta Autosport. He adds a fourth Andretti car to the 2016 Verizon IndyCar Series. He's replacing 04 IndyCar champion Gabby Chavez. Here's the thing about Alexander Rossi. He's only 24 years old, and this is what I said earlier that a dream begins but a dream also ends he will not go back to f1 in anything that he could ever compete in not like he was in anything he could ever compete in 
He has five starts in the F1 series. Seven entries. At one point, he was hired, then fired, then hired, then fired again. He was named as a replacement for Max Chilton, and then Max Chilton came to a contract agreement, and they took Alexander Rossi out of the car. Then he had the unfortunate duty of replacing Jules Bianchi after he suffered what proved to be fatal injuries in that Japanese Grand Prix. So they put him in the car because you have to. There is no loophole in F1 saying, well, somebody died or somebody's in the hospital. We're just not going to field his car. They had to field a car. So Alexander Rossi got tabbed to be that driver. And he basically withdrew before the race began. So that's the two non-starts. He was in crap equipment, for lack of a better word, with the Manor team when it was going through its transition to go full ownership to Manor. He got the short straw of the stick. And Americans don't have a good track record in F1. Look at Scott Speed. Granted, Scott Speed shouldn't have been there. He was picked because he won that Red Bull program, and they made a TV show out of it. And they shoved him in F1. The last American to win in F1. Take a guess. Uh, don't don't even bother wasting time. Mario Andretti, not American, naturalized American, last American to win an F1. There's a international stigma against American drivers that will never allow them to do well in Formula One. The way that the open wheel structure in Europe is, it's kind of akin to how we have midgets, dirt cars modified and things like that that's their karting system they look at american racing oval track racing and laugh they think it is the funniest thing in the world but yet they look at the amount of money american drivers make for the amount of work that they seem is less superior and they want it now granted the f1 drivers lewis hamilton will make hundreds of millions this year while Dale Earnhardt, who makes the most money of any NASCAR driver, will probably make about $30 million. But they still look down on American race car drivers and American racing. Alexander Rossi will never go back to F1 and get a legitimate shot. And it's unfortunate because the kid has a lot of talent. Well, speaking of F1, a bad start for the new Haas Formula One team. Their car, driven by Romain Grosjean, it failed on the 13th lap of their first day of test runs. That's kind after of front end failure. Kind of strange, lap 13. Yeah, very yeah. unlucky, huh? Um, yeah, this Haas F1 team goes back to everything I just said about the way Europeans look at American racing, and this is the most unfortunate thing to happen for a team that already has their back against the wall. And with something to prove, listen, we all remember the USF1 team that Peter Windsor backed that never happened. We've been trying to get the Grand Prix in New York City, actually in New Jersey, across the water from New York, for almost a decade. We remember the lowest moment of Formula One racing in the modern era was at Indy when they had the tire controversy and only four cars ran a race. Do you get what I'm saying? F1 and American don't really go well together. And Gene Haas has all the financial backing in the world. This is not going to end well for him. And he has too much pride to let it fail, but it's going to fail. 
NASCAR announced last Friday that they are implementing revisions to the rule book that will address personal behavior both on and off the track for all three racing series. Examples of this, Brandon, include a member action that could result in a mild response for uh, such as with a uh, meeting warning probation, include heat of the moment actions or reactions either on or off the track. Also, member-to-member confrontations with without physical violence, which would be like a shoving match, shouting match, some type of... So shoving is not physical violence. Apparently not. That's beyond me. Also, another example might be uh, that would result in a $10,000 to $50,000 fine and or probation, disparaging the sport and or NASCAR's leadership, verbal abuse of a NASCAR official, media member, fan, etc., or intentionally damaging another vehicle under yellow or red flag conditions or on pit road with no one around. It gets a little more serious from there if you want to check the rule book yourself online, but obviously they're pretty serious about these personal behavior penalties. It wasn't too long ago they basically said, well, they didn't basically, they actually said, boys have at it. And now we're going to put everybody on probation if in the heat of the moment you yell at somebody, I'm going to put you on probation If you yell at somebody, that is ridiculous. NASCAR has gone from one end of the spectrum to basically their own wording condoned what Matt Kenseth did to Joey Logano, which Matt Kenseth became one of the most popular drivers at that point for taking out Joey Logano. Why? Because for lack of a better word and the general consensus is, and I would say it to his face, most people think Joey Logano's a weasel. If you look on Twitter... You can gather that Joey Logano has a very punchable face. I can't get fans. past that that fake smile that he always throws out there. You you don't like Joey Logano, and you're not the biggest NASCAR buff in the world. You don't like Joey Logano, not at all. He's very fake, and he's obviously had problems on the uh, track with different drivers that seemed a little unnecessary. I remember him having a wreck a few years ago that could have really badly injured somebody it was obvious that it was intentional and Denny Hamlin Auto Club Speedway broke his back so just yelling at Joey Logano gets you probation you get fined if you say NASCAR sucks I like the verbal abuse of NASCAR official media members and fans that's the Tony Stewart Kurt Busch rule (laughs) intentionally damaging another vehicle blah 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 Matt Kenseth rule Then they threaten to indefinitely suspend you or terminate you. Physical confrontation with NASCAR official media members or fans. So Tony Stewart can no longer go in the stands anymore and yell at people he doesn't like. Attempting to manipulate the outcome of a race. Matt Kenneth's rule part two. Intentionally wrecking another vehicle. Matt Kenneth's rule part three. Hey, boys have at it. Not anymore. Finally, Stewart Haas Racing has announced the fill-in drivers for Tony Stewart's number 14 Chevy for the next two races. Ty Dillon, brother of Austin Dillon, will race this Sunday at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And also Brian Vickers will return to fill-in next week in Las Vegas on March 6th. Brian Vickers, I think we touched on this briefly last week. Brian Vickers, unfortunate circumstance. You hate it for Brian Vickers. Had the world at his fingertips and then blood clots. Two bouts of them takes him out of two rides. There is no reason why Brian Vickers shouldn't be in this car every weekend until Tony Stewart comes back. But the reason Brian Vickers is not in this car every weekend until Tony Stewart comes back 
is three words. Bass Pro Shops. Bass Pro Shops and their owner, Johnny Morris, has had a long relationship with Richard Childress. Sponsors Ty Dillon in the Xfinity Series. So, those three races, it's three out of the next four that Ty Dillon is going to run for Stuart Haas, are the Bass Pro Shop sponsorship races. You're letting the sponsor dictate the driver. There is no misconception. Stuart Haas had a little bit of trouble selling sponsorship this year, and they kind of needed all the money they can get. And Bass Pro is a big sponsor on the 14 car. That's the only reason why Ty Dillon's in this car. You're going to take Ty Dillon, the grandson of Richard Childress, who owns his own race team, and put him in the 14 car because those are the races run by longtime sponsor and friend of Richard Childress, Johnny Morris, and Bass Pro Shops. Mind you, there is no affiliation between Stuart Haas and Richard Childress Racing. That's the thing that really gets me on this. You're going to let the grandson of Richard Childress, the owner of a rival, Come into your shop and see the little nuances you are doing with your team. For him to do what? Go back to his team, which feels cup cars, and say, this is how they do it over there. Trudges has had a tough time since Kevin Harvick has left. Why are you giving them any insight? I understand the community aspect of NASCAR, but a little gamesmanship didn't hurt anybody. And that's the problem that Ty Dillon is in that car. That's my only problem with it. You can make the case that Ty Dillon really doesn't deserve to be in the car. But the thing that got Dale Earnhardt Jr. to Hendrick Motorsports was the time, I believe it was at Vegas, Kyle Busch wrecked a car, thought they were going to withdraw it from the race, and left the track. The crew fixed the car and needed a driver to go back out there. Dale Earnhardt Jr. had just wrecked out of the race, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. hopped in the car and fell in love with the way Hendrick Motorsports built their race cars, and that was one of the reasons why he went to Hendrick Motorsports. So there are differences between the cars. There are little tricks of the trade. I don't know why you open up the curtain to somebody like Ty Dillon. It's no disrespect to Ty Dillon. You don't open up the curtain and get your little nuances, get your little secrets to somebody that can go to another team that is trying to beat you week in, week out. Okay, those are the actual news stories of the week. We tried it last week, and we kind of belabored it a little bit, but Blubba really struck a chord with me, and I hope that they rethink it. But here's our irrelevant story of the week. We've scoured the globe in search of the most useless information in the racing world. Feels like we're wasting a lot of time. This is the Irrelevant News of the Week. All right, Brandon, guess what? The uh, officials, the celebrity officials for the upcoming Atlanta Motor Speedway race. Oh, my favorite thing in the world. Of course. Have it been? Well, they were actually announced last week, but we were busy on Daytona. So now we're going to talk about it with the race this week. Grand Marshall, big celebrity. Would you like to take a guess? No. No? Just tell me. You just want to throw just it out hurt there? my feelings. Oh, okay. Star of Terminator 2, or one of the stars of Terminator 2, amongst other movies, Robert Patrick. The T-1000? Yes. I thought you said celebrity. I said celebrity. Think of all the movies he's been in. I'm not going to lie. Robert Patrick used to scare me as a young child. And still kind of scares me as a grown adult. It's a scary looking dude. He just looks like he's up to something. He has a menacing look about him. Probably one of the nicest guys in the world. 
still scared of him. Yeah. I thought he was good in uh, Walk the Line, though, as uh, Johnny Cash's dad in the movie. I thought he was pretty good in that. But as a celebrity grand marshal? He's the grand marshal. Don't ever use that word, celebrity grand marshal. <laughs> I'm when so you sorry. Have, when you have a grand C-list marshal. celebrity. Grand marshal. I'm, I'm so sorry. I mean, my question out of this was, was Linda Hamilton not available? Does That's any- a shot. I mean, I'm just saying. That's a shot. Was she, okay. Celebrity pace car driver. Former... University of Georgia and NFL great Champ Bailey. Here's a problem with having NFL players do it. There's a majority of people football who would call themselves football fans would not be able to pick Champ Bailey out of a lineup if he was wearing a jersey that said, I am Champ Bailey. They wouldn't believe him because they wear helmets. Congrats to Champ Bailey. But again, you unless he's wearing a helmet and a jersey, nobody... He's going to walk around that track... And be the most unbothered person. You're probably right. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. Also, Tom Glavin and Lee Haney will also make appearances, so that kind of covers the Is sports. Lee Haney a golfer? No, Lee Haney's actually a bodybuilder and has been an eight-time Mr. Olympia. So apparently dude's jacked. He's going to hulk up. He's going to pick up a car. That's going to be what he does. I, I don't know. Okay, Tom-, Tom Glavin still lives in the Atlanta area, so it's not like it was any like inconvenience for Tom Glavin. Like He really had to go out of his way for this. If I remember correctly, he lives in Alpharetta. So, Tom Glavin probably called Atlanta Motor Speedway. He's like, hey, you know, you guys have any free tickets, you know? I'm Tom Glavin. They're like, we got something better. (laughs) We're going to make you a celebrity during the race. Tom Glavin is just going to show up, wave, sit in the drive. You know what that, that, that title means? You just sit through a driver's meeting, which is one of the most boring things in the world to sit through. It is so boring, the drivers fall asleep. It's a driver's meeting where the drivers struggle to stay awake for. They show a video, ask if anybody has questions, and then they go about their business. It is 25 minutes of a waste of time. And last year, I was in there during the driver's meeting. They allow media members to stand in the back. You want to know who the guest of honor was? Scott Hall and Diamond Dallas Page. Not to mention, The Bachelor... Not like the guy, the Bachelorette's fiance. So Aaron Murray's brother. They couldn't get the Bachelorette there. They couldn't get Aaron Murray there. So they got his brother, Josh Murray. That was the guest of honor last year. Wow. That's a that's pretty good. I'm sorry. Cast. The celebrity. Yeah, guest celebrities. Of honor. DDP yoga. I you got don't, you invi- don't do yoga? I got invited to do DDP yoga. I gotta take a picture with Diamond Dallas Page, which did he make awesome. you feel the bang? Uh, we did do the we did the diamond. I got to talk to Scott Hall. Was he actually like? He was very lucid. Wow, I'm amazed by it that. It was actually a very enjoyable experience. I got him to go, hey yo. Did he throw a toothpick at you? No, he had one in his mouth though. No, oh, well that's that's the best part. I had a chance to interview Josh Murray. Then I thought to myself, why in the world would I interview Josh Murray? I did get to hang out on pit road and talk hamburgers with Gavin DeGraw. By far the coolest moment of that race last year. I hung out on pit road and talked to Gavin DeGraw and his dad. When's the last time Gavin DeGraw actually did a decent song? See, now you're taking shots at people who I consider friends. You're friends with Gavin DeGraw. I'm gonna Personal tell people. Friends? I'm gonna tell people I'm do you, friends. Do you have him on speed dial. <laughs> I'm gonna tell people I'm friends with Gavin. We talked hamburgers. It wasn't like, hey, you're a celebrity, can I interview you? The mics were off and we had a conversation about one New York City. Two Nashville and three hamburgers. That borderline friendship. 
Wow. Didn't he have like a bar Nashville or something in Nashville? In, in Nashville. Oh, okay. Gavin DeGraw, my buddy. Wow. How about that? All right. Quickly, the rundown of the musical performers. A Just a jam-packed list here. The schedule for this weekend. First of all, Stevie G on Friday. You Kenny G, you mean? <laughs> no. Stevie G. <laughs> yeah, Kenny G. Don't play saxophone. Stevie G. Oh. I, I don't Next. think he plays the saxophone. I think he plays the jug. I'm, now, I don't want people to think I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> I'm having fun with this. Stevie G is probably a great artist, and I would probably go see him if he was playing at a local dive bar, but I'm not going to go see him at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Okay, well, then then don't worry about it. I wish Stevie G the best of luck on his career. I wish I could be a musician. I wish I could be Stevie G. I'm just going to make fun of Stevie G right now. Hey, Stevie G might actually open up for Blubba. You never know. Nobody should open up for Blubba. Blubba, only thing Blubba should be opening is doors for old ladies. Saturday, you got the great Matt Stillwell, in addition to Corey Kent White and Joe Hall, who's a Decula native. Also, National Anthem for the Xfinity Series, Angela Rain. So it's going to rain. Uh, I don't think it's in the forecast, actually. Also, Keisha Gwynn will do the Camping World Series anthem. Sunday, you got Mark Wills doing a big concert at 11. How many times is he going to perform 19-something? I mean, probably once, like most artists do. You could think that he could make a fortune off of updating it to 2,000-something. Like, add an extra verse or something. Well, no, it just it would be like uh, song part two. So it's the second version of it. So he'd actually have two to do. Mark Wells is missing an easy cash opportunity. Mark, you might be onto something. Angel Lorraine will come back on Sunday and do a concert as well. Pre-race performances of Georgia On My Mind by Miss America 2016, Betty Cantrell. Oh, my. Oh, here we go. God Bless America to be sang by Corey Kent White. And the national anthem. To be sang by Robin Mead, host of Headline News' Morning Express. Also former Miss Ohio. Maybe I'm just jealous that they don't ask me to do these things. Maybe it's a coming from a place of jealousy. Florida Georgia Line performed a concert before the Daytona 500. If you can't get somebody who actually has a tour with their name on it, get some local like third grade youth group. That way everybody can go, oh, that's cute. Rather than, because you know everybody in the stands and everybody at home, when they do HLN's Robin Mead, she can sing. She's released an album. I will give her that. People are going to go, that's the girl from HLN. Why is she singing? Now, maybe she will blow everybody away. But if you can't get, like, a tour celebrity that has their name on something already... Just get kids out there. You can never go wrong with kids. There was a year at Richmond where they had the driver's kids either perform an anthem or say, driver, start your engine. It was really bad, but it was just so cute. Go with that. You could have got Blubba to perform. No, Blubba is never allowed to perform at anything. No Blubba. Ryan Blaney finished 19th in the Daytona 500. That is 19 more albums he would ever... That is 20 more albums he would ever sell if Blubba released an actual CD. But if you can't get a a headline celebrity... And we're in Atlanta. There are celebrities... Usher lives here. Zach Brown Band's from here. Hold on, time out. Does Usher even know what NASCAR is? Probably. But I'm just saying, T.I. I'm willing to bet T.I. knows what NASCAR is. 
we're in Atlanta. There's a lot of Alan Jackson, Travis Tritt. Is somewhere. No, 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 Travis Tritt. No, no, no. Somewhere. No. Are we still not letting him come no, back after no. that really horrible he performance? He butchered the national the... anthem. In his defense, in his defense, he was drunk. That makes it even worse. But, it, again, I'll just sum it up with this, and this is, I'm belaboring the point just like I did with Blah Blah. If you can't get somebody whose name is on a tour, just go with the cute route and then get kids or old people. Or a band, like get get a local high school just to play it. Like, please, just don't truck out no name celebrities that will do it for twenty five bucks. Is that all the news notes and lugs that we got? Oh, we're done. That that's all I got. We're we're dry. Okay, we we've punged you to death with news notes and lugs. Now we'll play a game of good and bad from the Daytona five hundred because I watch the Daytona five hundred very intently. Things were good. Things were not so good. So, really simple. I mentioned this at the top of the show. The good, the white flag lap. The bad, every other lap before that. Nobody wants to see an Arca-style wreck fest. I concede that. But no real racing occurred until the last lap. And... I think everybody caught on. Ratings were down 16% for the Daytona 500. You saw Chase spin. You saw Dale Earnhardt Jr. hit the wall. You saw Harvick spin. But there was no real second lane racing, and that's why people watch Daytona. They want to see that pack racing. They want to see two by two, front to back. You didn't see it. Not necessarily the best showing for the Daytona 500. We'll go to the Camping World Truck Series, who introduced their caution clock. Good, the Camping World Truck Series caution clock. Bad, the Camping World Truck Series caution clock. It's bad because we're going to see this in the Cup Series in the next 5 to 10 years. And that's not good at all. Here's the thing for hardcore racing fans, and I know I'm probably only speaking to one or two people. Remember when Champ Car... Yeah, I uttered the word champ car. Did the pit window, and for those who don't know, they basically told teams when they were allowed to pit. The window's open from lap 6 to 9. You have to come into pit between lap 6 or 9. And I have to tell the story of this because nobody was watching champ car. There There weren't 16 people watching champ car. They tried to force the competition and strategy because nobody was watching, and honestly, nobody cared. Champ Car had Sebastian Bourdais and Paul Tracy almost fighting every other week, and that was the only thing you cared about. But that's what the caution clock is. It's to promote strategy. It is to promote competition. And the reason why we will see it in the Sprint Cup Series, or Cup Series because Sprint won't be the sponsor after this year, is do you remember those all-star races where NASCAR basically decided we're going to have a halftime? Throw a red flag, let the cars come down, pit road park for 15 minutes. Teams can make changes except for engine, engine block, transmission, things like that. And then everybody hops back in their car and you go racing. And during that 15 minutes, drivers were out of their cars and getting interviewed by TV. The closest thing to halftime 
NASCAR allowed in the Cup Series. Remember the Truck Series when it first started had a halftime? The original Truck Series for NASCAR had a halftime. Swallow that one. It forces the competition, forces strategy, and essentially a caution clock in the Truck Series on Sundays where you lost 16% of your viewers from last year would create that end-of-quarter situation. Every 25 minutes, you get a caution. Teams can make big changes, hopefully to allow more teams to be competitive, more cars racing at the end, provide different strategies, creates an end-of-quarter like you see in basketball, football. That's not exactly the best for racing, but as long as NASCAR ratings keep on falling and NASCAR doesn't grasp that it's a niche sport, it's going back to being that way, and there's nothing wrong with that. As long as NASCAR has their eye on the $256 million a year TV rights over 10 years, things like this is going to happen. And the final one, the most important one, the good from the Daytona 500, Jeff Gordon. The bad from the Daytona 500, the poor people paired with Jeff Gordon. When you add a four-time NASCAR champ to the pitcher to call your races, you do it in a heartbeat. The problem is, Jeff Gordon is good. He's been trained in the media. Remember, he used to co-host Regis and Kelly when Regis was out, and he was actually pretty good. He went through media training. So you pair him with a phenomenal, probably one of the best in the business in Mike Joy. You get Larry McReynolds in something that he's naturally fit for, thinking like a crew chief. You go to Larry Mack, he gives you, I would pit here, here's why, I wouldn't pit here. Here's what this thing on the car does, here's what the trackball really does, here's how you make adjustments. That's Larry McReynolds' niche. They got him in a great role. And you can argue that he's kind of been marginalized also, but the thing that sticks out, in that NASCAR booth is Darrell Waltrip. I'm sorry. It has become basically clear the only reason why he's in that booth is just to yell boogity, boogity, boogity. Boogity, boogity, boogity! Let's go racing, boys! 2001, when NASCAR and Fox first took off, it was cute. 15 years later, not so cute. Boogity, boogity, boogity! DW talks about NASCAR in the 1980s. He can't even talk about NASCAR really in the 1990s, in the late 1990s, because he abused the past champion's provisional to extend his career for that decade. Fox lost, in the grand scheme of things, in their coverage of NASCAR last year to NBC in their first year. They had Steve LaTarte, fresh off of the pit box, giving fresh insight of how today's NASCAR works. You had Jeff Burton, who was driving two, three years ago, giving insight in how today's NASCAR works. Fox has basically dubbed Jeff Gordon as the saving grace. But even Jeff Gordon can't turn that broadcast team into lemonade. So you get what I'm saying about the broadcast team. You can't bring the old knowledge into today's sports, DW. Look at Joe Theismann on the NFL. He can't even find a broadcasting job anymore. 
Why do people bang on Phil Simmons and Chris Collinsworth? Because it's a young man's game. That goes from playing the game to even now broadcasting the game. Once again, DW talks about 1980s NASCAR. Jeff Gordon talks about today's NASCAR. Coming up next, NASCAR's new rules turns a big problem into a massive one. I'll tell you what that is next. Coming up, this is Full Throttle. You're locked into 6A The Fans, Full Throttle with Brandon Joseph. Welcome back to Full Throttle. Brandon Joseph here getting ready to close up our second week as NASCAR and motocross head to Atlanta. So if you're in the Atlanta area, make sure you can check out one of, if not both, motocross is Saturday night. Uh, NASCAR Sunday afternoon, of course, they have the Xfinity and the Camping World Truck Series races on Saturday. Can you imagine a weekend like that? You start off early going to the Xfinity and the truck race. You head down to the Dome. You catch the motocross Saturday night. Sunday, you wake back up and head out for the Sprint Cup race. What an amazing weekend in NASCAR. The only bad thing I take from this is Atlanta Motor Speedway is still not happy about the temperature, so they have this perfect weather guarantee. They're not happy with where the race falls in the second race of the season. They asked NASCAR after last year, the first weekend, being the second race of the season, if they could move. NASCAR said no. AMS had to agree to a five-year deal relative to be in or around this time frame, too. It was miserable last year. It was 40-some-odd degrees, and it rained. Miserable. February is so hit or miss for Atlanta that it makes it tough. Fans were miserable, unbearable. Looks like they'll have better weather this weekend. Hopefully it works out better for AMS. A lot of people didn't show up last year because they knew the rain and the cold was coming. It was really a winter race last year. Looks like it's going to be a little bit warmer this year before NASCAR heads out on their West Coast swing. I mentioned NASCAR's new rules turned a big problem into a massive problem, and that has to do with the NASCAR Xfinity Series. The NASCAR Xfinity Series will have a chase, just like the Cup Series, and the Camping World Truck Series will have a chase also. This will not apply to the Truck Series because Cup drivers don't really care enough to dominate the Camping World Truck Series, but they care enough to run a lot of Xfinity races. So really what it boils down to is that their chase is going to be seven races. It will begin at Kentucky, 12 drivers, two elimination rounds. The first 26 races, if you win, you're guaranteed in. The first round called the round of 12 will be Kentucky, Dover, Charlotte. The next round will be the round of eight, Kansas, Texas, Phoenix. And the final four will advance to Homestead, winner-take-all type of race. Here's the problem, and Fox Sports did this breakdown last year. Last year's NASCAR Xfinity champion was Dan- was Chris Busher. If they had the chase as it is set to run, Daniel Suarez would have won last year's title. Daniel Suarez, who had zero wins, eight top fives, and a high of second place only once. And when you break this down, it's because of the cup infiltration. 23 cup regulars won races last year. What's stopping 25, 26, 27 from winning races this year? Here's the number. Only four times last year were was the race finish a 1-2 for NASCAR Xfinity drivers. 12 times it was a 1-2 finish for Sprint Cup drivers in Xfinity races. 
and 10 times a Sprint Cup driver won with an Xfinity driver finishing second. This chase format allowing NASCAR Cup drivers to compete at will at any Xfinity race they want to will create a fluke championship. And it shows because Daniel Suarez would have won last year's championship not winning a race. Chris Buescher won two. Finished second a bunch of times. Wouldn't even have won the final race because he wouldn't have qualified based on his finishes for Homestead. Now granted, that could still happen this year. The most dominant car may not make the finals. And that's what playoffs are. You see it in other sports every single year. But the problem with this one is, is you don't have NFL players showing up during the college football playoffs just playing the game. You don't have the Seattle Seahawks going down and playing Stanford in the championship game, in the Pac-12 championship game. You don't have the Falcons showing up playing Tech on an ACC field. So why are we allowing Sprint Cup drivers to essentially dictate how its feeder series, which they want to grow, Sprint Cup drivers dictate who wins that championship? You need the Sprint Cup drivers in there. I can see that 110%. You need those guys in there because... There's no reason to watch. We watched what was in the NASCAR Bush series when Dale Earnhardt Jr. was racing Matt Kenseth because it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. People will be hard-pressed to name the series after that. You forget Kyle Busch was a, was a champion. Brian Vickers. These were champions. Chase Elliott, champion. You forget that. NASCAR has already had one problem with the second tier series. And that was that split championship. If you've ever seen the banquet for the Xfinity and the Camping World Truck Series, they do them together. They have to have a really long table. For the champions on stage. Because you put the championship winning driver. His guest. The crew chief. Their guest. Team owner. Their guest. That's six people. And the problem was. Is that a driver was winning a championship. But a different owner was winning the owner's championship. There was a case where there was, I believe it was Chase Elliott's championship. He only won the driver's championship. I know for a fact it was Ricky Stenhouse. Ricky Stenhouse sat on the stage with his girlfriend at the time who wasn't Danica Patrick. Although that's the closest Danica Patrick is probably ever going to come sitting on championship stage in NASCAR. Ouch. Ricky's crew chief, Ricky's crew chief's wife, Jack Rouse, and Mrs. Rouse. Then you had the Kyle Busch Motorsports team who won the owner's championship because Kyle Busch ran 22 races and won like 
12 of them. You have 12 people celebrated at the championship table because it's a flawed system. So when Kyle Busch runs his 15 Xfinity races, wins nine, Chase Elliott already won Daytona. When he runs his four or five, wins two. Dale Earnhardt wins one. Casey Kane, whoever, Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, when they all win their races, and then you're left with who's the best second, not even really the best second place guy. Because 12 out of 33 races, it's been a Sprint Cup guy. Who's the best third place driver? And that's going to dictate the championship. You want these guys in there because they bring eyeballs to this sport, this series. You want these guys in there because it does allow other drivers, the younger drivers, to gauge their competition level. But you don't want it to where these guys will dictate your champion. And that's what they're doing. You don't want Sprint Cup guys determining the Xfinity Championship. You want the Xfinity guys to dictate the champion. It's a general idea in the Sprint Cup that the champ, the championship four at Homestead, the champion will be either first or second at Homestead. And we've seen the last two years. Harvick had to win Homestead. Kyle Busch had to win Homestead to win the championship. In the Xfinity Series, their championship four at Homestead, that guy could be fifth, sixth, seventh to determine the champion. It's not any different to when it was a true point system and drivers would clinch three, four, five races in with left in the season. But you don't want to try to build up this whole playoff system, then have the playoff championship determined by guys who are far superior. These final seven races of the Xfinity Series can be won by seven Sprint Cup drivers. Then you're just left confused. What's the solution? I'm of the mindset that the final seven races, there could be no Cup drivers in there. And I'm of the mindset that if you're earning points in the Sprint Cup Series, you are only allowed to run seven, eight races at a lower series. That way, if they want to hop in these cars, if they want to run these races, that's all fine and well. But you're only running a certain amount of them. Other than that, ban them. Force these stars. Chase Elliott's only a star because of his last name. Chris Buescher won the title last year. Nobody knows who Chris Buescher is because he only won two races. And for 12 other of them, the best he could finish was third. At least 12 other races, the best he could do was third. So if you tell me NASCAR says no cup drivers in the final seven, I'm okay with that. If you tell me that cup drivers can only run a total of seven, I'm okay with that. But if you tell me cup drivers are not allowed in the series, I'm fine with that also. 
because it would require NASCAR to do some work to build these stars. You can run all the commercials you want with Bubba Wallace in there. You can run all the commercials you want with other up-and-coming drivers. Elliot Sadler, who's not really an up-and-coming driver, but has gone back down and tried to keep a career going. You can run all the commercials you want advertising those guys. But when I turn on 23 races last year, out of 33, and there being one by Sprint Cup drivers... No amount of advertising is going to help build that star power. And that's the problem NASCAR has to address, and that's the problem they won't address. But they will tell you, you cannot yell at somebody, or else you'll end up on probation. But they don't want to address the actual problem they have. We'll see how Atlanta plays out this week. We're getting closer and closer to open world racing coming back. Mellow Yellow Drag Racing back in action this week. We'll recap all that and more next week on Full Throttle. Thank you so much for joining us. For Chris Caldwell, I'm Brendan Joseph. You can find me on Twitter at Radio. If you have something you want to hear, you have something you want us to talk about, someone you want us to find to bring back our blast from the past, really cool. Later on in the year, there's a former NASCAR driver who went and served his country at war and now is running his own business. We'll talk to him later on in the year. For those who don't know, I'll just give it away now. Lyndon Amick. If you don't remember that name, look it up. We'll talk to him later on down the road. Things like that. Names that come to mind that you go, whatever happened to that guy, we'll track him down. We'll find him and we'll see what they're up to. This is Full Throttle. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, everybody, make sure those lug nuts are tight. No, it's still a work in progress. We'll be back next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.